Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity to present special guest Daniel Tolson to the show today. Daniel is a business coach, And our guest is a former Australian wakeboard champion. He's also the co-lead of a team of more than 17,000 cabin crew and currently serves as a consultant to more than 17,500 business people globally. With more than 6,500 case studies into the science of emotional intelligence, our guest is considered as one of the world's leading business coaches specializing in this area. Our guests will show people how to become successful by providing scientific and evidence-based methods on how to catapult their lives and influence and accelerate their impact and unleash new income levels. It's a great pleasure. I welcome Daniel Tolson to the show. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hi, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. I know that you're hailing out of Taiwan right now, and I appreciate the fact that you, I think it's right now Tuesday, your time dating our episode at the moment, and it's 630 in the evening, my time. So thank you for meeting us so early in the morning to do this show. My pleasure. It's a a very spiritual place to live in Taiwan. We have 95% of the population is Buddhist, so it's good for my mental, emotional, and spiritual health. I have to ask you about your background as a wakeboarding champion. Can you share with us your experience of how you got into that area and what you found the biggest challenge for you with it? My father, he was a champion barefoot water skier. So he used to water ski on his feet without skis. And he was one of the top in the country and he would train for many years. And when he was going to break a world record, the river flooded. So he never got his opportunity to break the world record, but he'd already broken it in training. And so throughout the years, I think that was in the bloodline and we would grow up on the river there in northwest of Sydney and would go wakeboarding. So I remember water skiing at age five and then I started to get a real desire to compete. And my brother was competing. And I thought, you know, what if I could compete against my brother? What if I could compete locally? And before I knew it, with a lot of practice, I was a three-time state champion wakeboarder. Wow. But I had a goal to become an Australian champion. And so that journey started at age 16. And year after year, I'd go to the competitions and I'd always crash. I'd always burn. I'd never win. And eventually by age 26, I realized I'd been my own worst enemy. My physical body didn't block me from achieving success. It was the mental energy. It was the emotional energy. It was all those bullshit stories that I was telling myself why I couldn't have what I want. And really fear had got in my way and I'd sabotaged my own success. I remember my brother said to me once, he said, bro, he said, you freak yourself out. He said, you're your own worst enemy. You can 
be better than all of us, but you only ride at your best when the cameras are on, when the competition's on. You got to learn to do that in training. My obstacle that I had to cross to become an Australian champion athlete was the internal obstacles. Once I did that, success was possible. And in 2006, I became the Australian champion, the gold medalist. Congratulations. Couple points as I heard your answer just now, and your it's synchronicity here. I've been wanting to have more athletes come on and talk about the connection between intuition, mental performance, focus, how you're able to get outside of the negative thoughts that keep you down. Like the average person, in my opinion, is somebody who won't ever pursue their goals if they get discouraged. And you've overcome that. And I love that we could have you on the show to share that because from my vantage point, not that I want to study athletes and get your mental focus, how you call it mental energy. And I consider it like mental performance, but that's like the biggest, I think that's sometimes the biggest part of the equation. I trained for a marathon when my grandfather passed away in 04 and I did several and I found, and I wasn't the most, I was never an avid runner or anything. I just decided I wanted to do it, raise money in his honor. And one of the things I learned from training for my own marathon on my level was the mental element that if you can overcome the stuff in your mind that keeps you holding you back, you could literally, and you train responsibly, of course, take care of your body and all that. You could literally do a lot of things that we probably feel like is a stretch. And so I find that fascinating that you have that and you've done that. And I guess what I want to ask you as a follow-up question is when you overcame your own mental hurdles, how did that change the equation for you to become a champion? What was it that clicked in your head from the time you went from 16 to the time you finally became an Australian gold medalist? The focus is the most important thing, and you really get what you focus upon, whether it be your personal or your professional life, you get what you focus on. So I remember my brother had a knee operation, and he was wearing this brace on his knee after the operation. He had five surgeries, and he was wearing this brace, and he looked like Robocop. And I thought to myself, maybe he's become a better rider because he's got this leg that looks like Robocop now. He's got this brace. I want one of these braces. And I thought maybe I could have one of those braces. I'd ride better. And eventually I led myself to my own accident. I ended up having an accident, tearing my posterior cruciate ligament. And after the operation, I got to wear the brace. And I thought the brace (laughs) was going to help me. It didn't help me at all. And so I realized that you get what you focus on. And what I'd been focusing on was not getting injured. So I'd say to myself, I don't want to crash. I don't want to get injured. I don't want to get hurt. And through my studies over the years on the mind, I realized that you get what you focus on. Now, the mind doesn't process the word not. It doesn't process negations. And everybody's had this experience. You say, I don't want to get into an argument. What happens? You get into an argument. You say, I don't want to be late to work today. You get all the red lights on the way to work. You get all the slow drivers. You say, I don't want to lose my job. When they hand out the redundancies, what happens? Your name's the first on the list. So we get what we focus on. And even if we say don't, not, won't, can't, the unconscious mind deletes all of that and you ended up with what you focus on. So for me, it was, I don't want to get hurt. My mind heard, I want to get hurt. I don't want to get injured. My mind hears, I want to get injured. So I had to control that aspect of my mind. Once I overcame that, I believe there's a little bit of a karmic debt there. These things that we project out into the future so we can resolve these problems. So by the time 2006 came around, I still had injuries and I had a stretch a ligament just six weeks before the event. But when I stretched the ligament, I couldn't ride for six weeks 
but my mindset didn't change. So instead of saying, poor me, this is not going to work out for me, I started to do mental rehearsal. And I'd imagine myself going up and down the lake, up and down the lake doing these tricks, and I'd do this trick pass over and again in my mind. And so for six weeks, I had a mental workout. I didn't work out the body. And then when I came into the event, I was limping. I was on crutches. I had my ankle strapped up and I still won because what I'd learned was that I could see it in my mind. I was clear on what I was going to do. And that made all the difference, even with the busted body. So basically my interpretation as we talk is that you've gotten really good at manifestation and visualization. Two things I very much invest my energies into, because if you can visualize things, you can map it out in your mind and you can See, I bet you you probably mapped out your entire routine in your head of what you were going to do to achieve. And then with the manifestation, I believe heavily in that stuff. My mom is like a negative. She talks negative. I can't do this. You shouldn't do that. And I always say, mom, don't talk that way. You're going to bring that to you. Let's just talk positive, no matter what the situation is, when I do this, not if. And I'm a big fan of that. Thoughts are things and what we manifest can attract to us. And I've seen that happen even today. I had a situation where I was concerned about something and I changed my script in my head. And within an hour, I found the situation averted itself. In other words, like it's amazing how you can, the mind is as powerful as this. And it's so important. It's so important. And there was one key aspect with the visualization, Jason, what I'd learned was I used to see myself successfully doing the trick, but I didn't see the successful outcome of the event. So on the lead up, I'd never seen myself standing on the podium with the trophy over my head. But coming into the final event, I'd learned about visualization and how important it was. And so I could see myself on the podium holding the trophy over my head. And that was the key difference. You can see yourself having a successful ride But that doesn't predetermine success. Success is seeing the end result. So now I'm focused on the end result, me on the podium, me surrounded by people, me having people clap. And that's that emotionalizes the visualization. And that's the accelerator pedal. So I talk about accelerating your impact. You've got to emotionalize those pictures in the mind. And that was the big difference for me. What do you think from your vantage point when you first learned about visualization? Did you have a coach teach it to you or were you exposed to it through peers or how did you decipher? I I learned how to do it intrinsically from the stuff I do as a psychic and as a spiritual person, just in general, when you delve in spirituality, and I know you do as well, you have things that you get your aha moments, you just have that happen and you start realizing. And I wasn't, I'm curious to see, did you have that introduced to you or was it more of an intrinsic thing that you realized the power of visualization, how it can help you with your, your manifesting your goals as an athlete? I had a mentor, and it was my uncle, John O'Brien, and he said to me in 1999, he said, Danny boy, you're like a runaway freight train. You're off the tracks. You're out of control. You've got to come and get a job. And I'm like, 19, I've got to get a job? That sounds nuts. He said, come along, and I'll teach you how to sell real estate. And so he started to introduce me to these mental principles, the law of attraction, Yes. The law of sowing and reaping, and especially the law of mental equivalence. And the law of mental equivalence says that your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. And that sounded so romantic. Oh, yeah, my outer world's a reflection of my inner world, and they're all the good things, but how am I to accept responsibility for all these bad things? 
And he taught me how to change what I focused on. And that was really important because within about six months of understanding these mental laws, I started to create things with intent. So rather than just randomly having things happen and it seemed like luck, it was like I could control it. I could control the interactions with people because I knew exactly what I wanted and I was having that equivalent. If I can imagine myself meeting nice people in real estate, if I can imagine myself walking in the door and they're accepting me, if I can imagine them signing the contract, if I can imagine them selling their house successfully, then that can happen. So we took these mental principles and Michael said, one thing that you've got to see is not getting the house listed and meaning not getting the contract signed to bring the house on the market. That's the first step. You've got to manifest and you've got to see the end result. You have to see the house with a sold sign out the front. And my uncle even taught me to take a sold sticker and put a sold sticker on the inside of the for sale sign that actually faced the homeowner's house. So we'd put these A-frame signs on the street. So if you came down the left or the right, you'd see a for sale sign. But when you walked out the front door and you looked at the back of the sign, it said sold. So we were teaching our clients how to use their mind and focus on sold. And as the real estate agent, we weren't focused about getting it on the market. We were focused on sold. And so I was taught that at age 19. And then I just had to learn how to use that in other areas of my life. It's so interesting you say it because I just literally got into a vision board, try race board. I call it, you know, we call it vision board when you start putting stuff on there and manifesting. And I got a really big one in my room and in my bedroom. So like I work from home. So every time I write something on that board, I get to see that a few times a day and I focus my own intentions on it. And it's amazing how you can literally do that. And I'm trying to tell other people I work with all the time. I'll tell people on the show, if you want to change the trajectory of your thought patterns, try to change up what you're focusing on, like you just said. And so when I have these positive things that I write on my board, they always seem to happen within a certain period of time. And it's not magic. It's the power of intention and manifestation and all the laws you've mentioned earlier. And it's great to hear as an athlete and as a real estate person in your life that you've applied those concepts to yourself and have found success with it. And uh, I want to ask you as a follow-up question. Can I, can I, give, can I give you one story? Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. One story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People think this has got to be for big things. It can also be for little things. And I was traveling in 2002 and I was traveling in Ireland and it was Australia Day. So it was 26th of January, 2002. And I was riding my bike and I was thinking about these mental laws and principles because I was studying them at the same time. And in this book was talking about visualizing money. So I imagined myself finding money. I didn't know where I was going to find it. I just imagined that I was going to find money. And I had a picture of a green note inside of my mind. Now, I was in Ireland. I didn't even know they had green notes, but I had this picture in my mind. And I was learning about emotionalization. And emotionalization is the accelerator pedal on the law of attraction. So I emotionalized it. I saw myself spending it. I'd go down to the pub. I'd buy alcohol. I'd buy somebody else a Guinness. And I could see myself spending this money. And I literally, I'd been riding a bike around a park and I was going up and around the parks and there was thousands of people walking around the park. And as I was going down the path, I could see this green thing on the floor and I got closer and closer and the closer I got, the bigger this green thing was on the ground. And I looked at it and there was dozens and dozens of people walking past. Hundreds of people must have walked past this green thing on the ground. And I looked down and it was a hundred euro note. 
on the ground. And I looked at it and I thought, is this a joke? Is this a setup? Am I going to try to get off my bike, pick it up, but somebody's going to pull it away on a fishing line? And I went past and I went, no, that's for me. That's exactly what I wanted. And so I rode down and I rode back because I thought maybe somebody's going to catch me. And I rode around and I rode back. And eventually I just hopped off the bike and picked it up. Nobody stopped. Nobody said, hey, that's my 100 euros. There was 100 euros sitting on the ground. Now, the difference was I was focused on money. So it activated my reticular activation system, which is a part of the mind that looks for a match of your most dominant thought. So I'm looking for money. So what do I see? I see money. Everybody else is focusing on something else. So they don't even see a hundred euro on the ground. So I picked it up and I did exactly what I'd imagined. I went down to the pub, started to buy drinks for myself, started to buy drinks for others, and I had the best night ever. <laughs> and so you can use I love that. On little things. <laughs> That's your application of what we're talking about right here. I love that. And I've had that happen in my own life. I'll be like, oh, I wish I could just make a hundred dollars this afternoon. And within 25 minutes, I get home and two people book me for psychic readings, for example. Or I say to my daughter the same thing. I say, do you want to be rich? She said, yes. And I said, let's manifest money. And I'll walk down the street and literally I'll find one Thai one dollar. It's probably worth about five cents, but I'll find a dollar and I'll pick it up and I'll say, look, baby, I said, I'm rich. She goes, dad, that's not rich. I said, but I still manifested a dollar. So if I could manifest a dollar, imagine if I changed my thoughts and said, I want to manifest a thousand or a million. I said, it doesn't matter. You can manifest anything that you want, even if it's something little. So we've got to be also mindful what we manifest. That's Don't true. go small. <laughs> go big. It doesn't take any more energy. It's interesting because I was just thinking about what I was going to ask you before we got into your story. I'm glad you shared that because that exactly that is the best anecdote we could use to explain this whole concept and what we're talking about in practical daily lives of what we're dealing with. I have people ask me all the time, how do you manifest? Because I try so hard. It just doesn't work for me. And one of the things I recommend from personal experiences, and I usually, I always talk in stories and examples. I'll be like, have you ever stargazed in the middle of New York City or Sydney, Australia, for example? You look up at the stars, there's a lot of light pollution. And people look at me like, yeah. Have you ever gone to like the middle of nowhere and nature and you're beautifully looking up and the cosmos look like this, this backdrop of perfection? With no light pollution, you could see everything that's above for all its glory. And I say, in retrospect, if you want to manifest, think of the light pollution as to the stars of the sky in your head. And that if you want to manifest and be more in tune with things, you need to eliminate the thoughts that can act as pollution and prevent you from focusing where you need to go. And I wanted to ask you, have you ever recommended something like that to any of the people you work with, where if they say, I I just keep trying, I can't do this. And I say, make it simple. It's not supposed to be complicated. This isn't rocket science. This is something that you can do, like you said, to put your foot on the pedal and accelerate and go in the direction you need to go. And I, so I want to ask you, if there's a person in the audience listening to this right now, and they're literally like thinking the words that we just said, I would love this idea. This is a great concept that you and Daniel are talking about, Jason, but I just can't seem to get my arms around it. What steps can I do to go from point A to point B if I don't believe that I can do it in terms of manifest? The first one is belief. We know it's possible. We see it working for others. We just don't believe it's possible for us. So the moment that we set an intention or a goal, we also identify a gap. So there's always a gap between where you are today and where you want to be in the future. It could be you might be starting with nothing and you want to become a self-made millionaire. Now, there's always a gap. And 80% of the things in that gap have to do with you. And they're often your fears, your doubts, and your limiting beliefs. And as soon as you set an intention, now you have to face fears 
that you've never faced before. And there's always four behavioral fears. The first one is the fear of being taken advantage of. So let's say you set an intention to become a millionaire. And now it triggers a fear of what if you actually get the money and now people take advantage of you? Because last time, remember, you got some money and then your mum said you should be taking care of your family. And all of a sudden you give it all away. The second thing is the fear of rejection. What if you actually do it and you make the million and then you share your story about how it happened and people laugh at you and they go, (laughs) bullshit, that doesn't work. Now you feel rejection. Now, these fears are two and a half times more powerful than your desires. So this is the problem. You might have a big desire, but the fears are always more powerful. The third fear that you've got to face is losing your stability and you've got to leave the comfort zone. So when I was riding the bike in Ireland and I saw the $100 on the ground, I now had to get out of my comfort zone. I've got to stop. I've got to get off the bike. I've actually got to pick it up. I've also got to risk that somebody might say, hey, that's mine. And so I've got to get out of that comfort zone. But what we don't realize about the comfort zone, it's also where self-sabotage comes from. So there I was. I had wanted to find the money. I saw the money. I couldn't believe that it was there and it was going to change my life. But I didn't have the confidence. So I rode up and down the path. I rode up and down the path and I went around and around and I almost lost my opportunity. And then fourthly, we have a fear of trying and failing. What if I actually try this manifestation stuff? And I put a lot of thought, a lot of feeling, a lot of emotion in it, and then I screw it up. And what if I fail? What if I try and I fail? Who am I if I fail? I can't deal with failure. So I may as well not even try. So that's the first thing. As soon as you choose your destination, now you've got to face all these obstacles. And 80% of the things, we call them constraints, exist within us. The first one are the fears. Then we're going to get through the doubts. Then we're going to get the limiting beliefs. And once we get through that mental pollution, like you say, it's possible. But we've got to navigate our way through that first. And that's the test. How bad do you want it? Are you willing to navigate through the mental pollution, the emotional pollution, the spiritual pollution from the past? If you're willing to do that, success is guaranteed. But if you're not, what will happen is you'll do a U-turn. You'll say, I ain't going down that path. (laughs) I'm just going to go back. It's like playing Monopoly. Don't do not <laughs> go directly past jail. <laughs> you will not collect your two hundred dollars because you can't get past your fear or limited beliefs or whatever else it is holding you back, and you'll self sabotage, and you'll repeat the same mindset. I can't do this. I can't do this. It's like you create your own prison for yourself. Yeah, yeah. We create everything, and it's tough. When we get something good in our life, we thank ourselves. We say, "Oh, good job." But when something bad happens, we turn around and go, "Who's to blame?" Now, as soon as we blame somebody, we actually lose control. We take the place of control, and psychologists call it the locus of control, and they say we put the place of control outside of us. Now, the moment that you accept responsibility for the wins and reject the losses and blame somebody else, you become incongruent internally, because now you have an angel on your shoulder, you have a devil on the other, and you say, I can create the best things, but somebody's to blame for the worst things. Now you lose your power because you have these internal conflicts. And what you've got to do is you've got to balance that out. And you've got to accept full responsibility for both night and day, good and bad, right and wrong. And it's not through those things that are wrong that are bad. It's where you learn your lessons. So you've got to learn lessons along the way. You've got to course correct. And once you learn the lessons, then you can have the outcome. But most people say, ah, why should I have to learn the lessons? Let somebody else do that. (laughs) But it's part of the journey. 
some too many people want shortcuts and sometimes you can't shortcut this kind of stuff. You got to go through the process. You got to overcome your own limiting beliefs and fears and work through it so that you can mm-hmm. see the bigger picture of everything coming into focus. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. I love that metaphor. It's the pollution. Our minds are toxic. We have 60,000 thoughts per day. <laughs> 95% of those are on repeat and 80% are negative. So we have to learn to reshape our thoughts. Now, people say, Daniel, can't I just be positive? Yes, you can be positive and still have mental pollution. Oh, this is great mental pollution, Jason. This is the best mental pollution I've ever seen. This is my mental pollution. Thank God for my mental pollution. Now I'm positive about my mental pollution. You're still toxic. You've got to change your thinking. So your thoughts influence 95% of your feelings, and your feelings determine the actions that you do and don't take. So you could have a thought of becoming a millionaire, but you could have a fear of failure, and the pollution will muddy all the waters. And what will happen, you'll go into avoidance behavior. So you have to balance out your thoughts and the feelings, and they all have to be consistent and congruent. And congruency is all lights are green. All systems are go. I see a million dollars in my mind. I feel worthy of it. And bang, I'm going to take the action. You still got to take action. And that's where people think, oh, I don't have to take action. I can just think a happy thought, feel a happy feeling, and everything will take care of itself. No, you've got to take action. You still have to take action. If you're not prepared to take the action, then you can't manifest. It's manifestation. It's movement. And I agree with you. You got to build it to create it and not just expect it. If you're expecting something, you're going to be readily disappointed if you don't put the action into it and take the steps you need to do. And I could see that. And that's where that's what separates what I feel people who live out their dreams and have these amazing lives versus someone who sits on the sidelines and scratches their head and says, how could I do that? There's ways to do it. And that's why we're doing this show today to discuss and approach from your personal experiences. I know you're a business coach. I wanted to ask you, how did you get into becoming a business coach? And what have you found to be most gratifying about it? I think a lot of coaches, we're trying to solve our own problems. So when I grew up, my mum was a hairdresser, my father was a farmer, and they got into business. And they owned a porn-broking business, kind of like the show Porn Stars in Vegas. We had a business like that. And we had this business. It could have been a multi-million dollar business, but there was so much mental pollution in the business. I'd hear my mum say, don't haggle, don't negotiate, just put a price on it and don't bargain and all that. So for me, it was like, now I'm avoiding negotiation, but business is about negotiation. So I felt tainted about that. My mum was like, also don't employ people. If you employ people, they'll take advantage of you. They'll steal from you. So now you want to grow a business, but every employee is the enemy. So we have this mental toxicity. I remember my father had to fire one of the employees, but he would go into avoidance behavior. So the guy had been cheating. He had been stealing. He wasn't good for the business. We'd made no money because he'd uh, taken all the profit from it, this guy. And when my dad had to deal with it, he went and laid in bed for a week. So you see this and you grow up and you think, oh my gosh. I want to start a business. So you start your own business and all of a sudden you face all these mental blockages. Money doesn't grow on trees. You can't get rich working for yourself. Don't employ people. They'll only take advantage of you. And so I thought to myself, gee, I better solve all of this before I attempt to start business. So I went out and I hired a life coach and that was 2009 and I hired a life coach and 
I was like, wow, I actually feel really good because he brought things into my awareness. He brought up these limiting beliefs from the past. He brought up these fears and systematically I worked through them one by one. And as I started to feel really good, I started to study more. I overcome my own mental blockages and I wanted this feeling for other people. So I went down that path of studying life coaching, business coaching, and then a whole new world opened up. And one of the worlds that opened up on my way to that journey was the occult. I started to study the occult because I realized that there was things outside of my awareness, things to do with my spirit that could be blocking me. And I started to learn about the tarot. And as I started to learn and study the tarot, I realized that the story of life, the challenges of life that we have to face were inside of the tarot. And I studied that for years and I did about 500 readings at 40,000 feet. So I was cabin crew, co-leading a team of 17,000 people at Emirates Airline. And I used to take my tarot cards on the aircraft and I'd do tarot readings at 40,000 feet. And that's what really got me hooked. I thought, wow, this is great because I can understand people where they're at their life journey, but I also have the tools from coaching to help them overcome those mental and emotional blockages. So I took that into business and I had a business coach and she said, you should have a specialization mix tarot with business coaching. And that can be your niche. And I thought, this is intuitively, I was like, this is not a good idea. (laughs) This is not a good idea to mix these two sciences. However, she convinced me it'd be a really good idea. And then when I launched, I lost my credibility because the area that I was launching in into business, they couldn't see how these two things went together because you've got businesses, which is very practical. And then you've got the esoterics, which is very spiritual. People can have both a spiritual side and a practical side, but oftentimes it doesn't mix well in business. (laughs) So I attempted that and it didn't work, but it didn't change my belief in both systems. So since then, that was uh, 2013 that I really launched the business. So nine years now that I've had this business for. And as I work with my clients, I can get through the practical things. We've got to get through the mindset. We've got to get through the emotions, but then we've got to get to the spiritual aspect in the spiritual realm. And that's where today I bring in things like past life regressions and work with people's genealogical bloodlines. And that's a huge breakthrough. And I know that every client who does past life regressions gets to this new level of income, gets to this new level of impact, gets to this new level of influence. And I think that's where business gets really exciting. It's sat. You're like the perfect guest for my show right now because you're an athlete background. You have a background as an athlete. You're spiritual. You do the tarot card stuff and you're a business coach. You're talking about multifaceted. Like I'm a lawyer, a psychic and a podcaster. And I'm aspiring to be a life coach shortly once I get certified. But having all those different hats to wear, I think you really offer such a rich wealth of wisdom on all different levels. And it sounds like you're very eclectic. And what you do. And that's fascinating to me because too many people box themselves off. Oh, I am a business coach. I had so many people when I first started doing the psychic stuff, you're a lawyer. You really shouldn't be doing the. So for three years as a lawyer slash psychic, I used my pseudonym, Jason Zook, the social psychic to give the readings and do all that. And I was able to keep those two parts of my life separate. The law was between eight to six after hours, I do the readings. And I always found the more I did these readings, just reading energy and doing mediumship and stuff, the more enjoyment I gained personally. And the more I started realizing, yeah, you could be a lawyer, but there's so much more to 
offer people if you can really make your passion in the spiritual side. And so from my vantage point, I think the fact that you can use your experiences and combine it together, it's like a powerhouse for people to benefit from your clients and all that. And I want to ask you, what is it like for you now looking back on everything you've gone through where you've had the success in wakeboarding and then you went through and you tried to launch originally and you realized there were some hiccups there, but now it sounds like you're really applying everything and firing at all pistons. And I want to ask, how is that for you now looking back on what you went through to get to where you are now? And what it, what, suggestion would you, what suggestion would you give to somebody who's similar? They might have multifaceted talents, but they're afraid to be their true selves. I think the first thing that all of us, the bridge that we've all got across, is we're going to ask for help earlier. Now, when I was wakeboarding, I could have been far more successful, but I didn't know how to ask for help. So my father, God love him, he's a great father, he's a great provider, but he's emotionally not available. And so when we're going to deal with emotions, we have to have people around us who are emotionally available, who can willingly talk about emotions. So as a father, what I have to do today is I have to address my children both at a mental and an emotional level and a spiritual level. So the other day, this was the best. We went down to the city just down the road from me and we're walking past one of these shops that sell lottery tickets. And my wife and I said, let's buy a lottery ticket because my wife, she says, my palms itchy, my palms itchy, my palms itchy. I've got to buy a lottery ticket. So we sent my daughter in and we said to her, she's only nine, we said, we want you to choose a ticket. And so she went in, she chose the lottery ticket. We come out, she scratched it. We won $2,000. Wow, this is awesome. And I said to my daughter, I said, how did you pick this ticket? And she went in, she said, Dad, I stood there, and before I chose the ticket, she said, I asked myself, which ticket would the gods choose? Which ticket would God choose? And she said, God would choose that one. So intuitively, she said, I'll have that one. And there we are, scratching away and winning (laughs) $2,000. So we've got to make space. We've got to make room for it. We have to leave possibility open to it. Now, I'm a skeptic and I test everything, but my mind is open and our mind is like a parachute and it only works when it's open. So I say to my daughter, what if the gob was going to choose another ticket? Which one would you choose? So as a father, I'm creating that open space to talk about spirituality. So if I had my time again, What I'd learn to do is I'd learn to talk about emotions. I'd learn to talk about my fears because I realize today that I wasn't the only person living in fear. Everybody was, just nobody knew how to talk about it. But if I could start that conversation with a friend, I'd realize that I wasn't alone. It was natural, normal part of life. I would have dealt with it immediately. So that's what I'd do if I had my time again. So profound and being authentic and being able to, I feel like if you can express even your fears and your emotions more openly, I feel like you gain so much from that because you don't have things bottled up inside and you're not going to have those limiting thoughts. Because if you can share your fears, you may be less likely to actually buy into them. I had a mate. He wasn't as good looking as me. He wasn't as tall as me. He wasn't as muscly as me, but he got all the good looking girls. And what I didn't realize back then was he was emotionally intelligent. So he would go up to the hottest girl in the bar and say, look, I'm so nervous to come and talk to you. You look way out of my league. You're tall, you're good looking, you're beautiful. And here I am short, looking like a dumpling. But I just had to get out of my comfort zone and come and say hello. 
Now, he'd end up taking that girl home. And the difference was he was emotionally intelligent. He knew he had a fear, but he still did the thing that he feared. Where the other boys, we just sat on there going, I don't want to get rejected. I don't want to get turned down. And we're focused on getting turned down, getting rejected. He's focused on expressing how he's feeling, being authentic, and somebody going, I like your courage. (laughs) Let's have a drink. So we've got to face it. And the rewards are instant in this realm. You don't have to wait for results. It happens immediately. I have totally invested in the idea of fear of rejection, overcoming it, living outside your comfort zone. Those are things I talk about very frequently as well. And the fact that you're bringing it up from your experiences, it validates the the idea that if you don't limit yourself, you're not limited, right? If we put that, we attribute our own fears and insecurities. And sometimes that's like the worst thing you should do or could do. And in reality, like you said, an open mind is the one that succeeds. And so the full card in the tarot deck, you got to take a leap of faith. You got to step out from the known into the unknown and you got to figure it out on the way down. And as they say, with the card of the fool, jump in the net shall appear. And if you can live your life with that energy of the fool, where you say, look, I'm just going to give it a go. Whatever happens, I'm going to give it a go. What's the worst, right? What's the worst? You try your dream, you do your passion. And if you don't reach it, it's a learning experience. You can fine tune it and get it better done the next time. I always say that to people and the word failure, like if we automatically use the word failure, we're attributing failure to ourselves. But if you say it's a learning experience, no matter what the outcome is, I can start over. I can do something else. I can rework this. Those are the people that are like the Teslas and the people who really work outside the realm of what we consider our limited belief system. And they're able to excel and do these extraordinary feats, like what you've done. You've established that. And I find that just a breath of fresh air because too many times we focus on the negative and it doesn't have to be that way. Who gives us that when we wake up in the morning that we need to focus on the negative and our self-limiting thoughts? I've learned this during the pandemic, during lockdown here in the United States. I'd wake up some days and I'd focus on the past. Oh, a year and a half, we've been locked down or this, that. And I'd feel negative for a while. And then I learned from my own personal studies on my own application of this stuff is When I wake up those days and I find something to look forward to, and I start the day as a new beginning, and then I'm excited, my day becomes immeasurably awesome. And I think it's all about outlook and paradigm. How do we look at the world around us? What do we do to perceive it? That's how the manifestation stuff clicks. The way that you see the world through your lens and what do you attribute through that lens? And that's what helps us, I think. And it's powerful testament to think of all this stuff works in real life. It's not just concepts that we're talking about at a table, for example, around some brew and some food. This is real stuff. It works for every everyone in the audience that's interested. It does work. And it's been demonstrated. You're an exact example of that. I did want to ask you about your studies. You did 6,500 studies on emotional intelligence. And I want to see if you could share what that entailed and what you found. For me, people go along their journey and they've tried so many things. And most of the things in life don't work. Like we've got to get to the point that most of the things that you try don't work. My father was a farmer and he'd say to me, Daniel, as a farmer, you can have one good year in seven and you'll survive. So how I see the world is I say to myself, if I have six shit years and I have one good year, I'm going to be fine. My father also says as a farmer, if you have two good years in seven, you'll set yourself up for life. I also know Jesus. Now, he's not the Jesus that you might be thinking of, but my good friend Bob Korf played Jesus on the hit Broadway show, Jesus Christ Superstar, a thousand times. 
And through his experience, he said, Daniel, most hit Broadway shows, you see all the hits, Jesus Christ, Superstar, Fan of the Opera, Lion King, you see all the ones that work, but you don't see all the ones that don't work. Most of it doesn't work, but it's what you learn from it. So we've got to accept that failure or temporary failure is a prerequisite of success. It's like when you're learning to walk. You fall more times than you stand up. You stand up, you fall down. You stand up, you fall down. You stand up, you fall down. You take a step, you fall over. But you keep picking yourself up and you keep moving forward. And that's one of the first realizations that we can accept. If you wish life to be easy, you'll set yourself up for disappointments. If you just accept that life is hard, then you won't get caught up in all the disappointments. You'll say, I was expecting that would happen. I'd expect that it'd happen. And then you start to, what we say is roll with the punches. So we have what's called an expectations theory. And our parents from a young age put expectations on us. And we will live up to or down to their expectations. If we have high expectations parents, we will live up to those positive expectations. If we have low or negative expectation parents, we will live down to their negative or low expectations. Now, this is so powerful that they've discovered that 90 to 95% of prisoners, both male and female, in the American prison system all had negative expectations parents. All of their parents said to them, one day in the future, you're going to end up in prison. And they complied to the expectation, the negative, the low expectation of the parents. And they ended up in prison. So... We have to have expectations, and it sounds like a conflict, but we have to have the right expectations for ourselves. So when I started my business, I was going to start it as a side hustle, and I was going to earn a million dollars in the first year. That expectation set me up for failure because the expectation was too high, too soon. There was no basis in reality. So when I started out on my journey, I already knew I'd failed. It was too big, too soon, and then I convinced myself it wasn't possible. The world didn't convince me. I convinced myself. And it took me years to figure out I'd been my own worst enemy. So what we do is we have to have realistic expectations for ourselves based on our starting line. And when you start with manifestations, when you start with goal setting, you should always start with a 99% success rate and a 1% failure rate, meaning that success is virtually guaranteed. And as you achieve success a couple of times, then you start to change the odds. You have 99% success rate, 1% failure rate. Then you get a little bit out of your comfort zone, 98% success rate, 2% failure rate. And what you do is you start to condition yourself that you can accept a certain level of failure without having to fall too far, without having to get too disappointed. And so what we do is we control the expectation. But a lot of people who hear about manifestation, law of attraction, they go too big too soon. I want to attract $100 million. And if it doesn't work, this stuff does not work. And then it doesn't work. And they go, I told you. No, it's because you weren't convinced. And I say to my clients, if you can't be happy with a lollipop, you will never be happy with a yacht. So you got to get happy with what you've got first of all, because that's the core of your manifestation. It's happiness. It's joy. It's love. You're going to project that energy out. It's a frequency, and you'll attract things back in based on your frequency. But if you project from fear, doubts, and limiting beliefs, you're going to project that, and you're going to attract that. So 99% success rate, 1% failure rate. And so bringing all of this psychology into what I'm doing now, people get to a stage where they want a scientific method. 
So they say, look, Daniel, I'm not ready for the spiritual stuff yet. I can't. That's okay. That's faith. You've got to believe in the invisible. So what I do is I make the invisible visible. And I use scientific reports to show them how they think, feel, and act, their levels of emotional intelligence. And once they have that bit of awareness, they go, that's me. Now, the reason why it's important is, according to Harvard University, 95% of people claim to be emotionally intelligent, yet only 10 to 15% are actually emotionally intelligent. So by giving them the scientific report and letting the artificial intelligence show them where they're at, it gives them confidence having a broken arm. You can be running across the street, you can trip over, you can put your arms out in front of you, bang, all of a sudden you hear something crack and you look down and you say to yourself, I think it's broken. So you go say to your mom, I think I broke my arm. She said, you better go to the hospital. You go to the hospital, the doctor says, it looks broken, but let's make sure. And so he sends you for an x-ray. The x-ray comes back, the doctor holds the x-ray to the arm, to the light and says, yes, your arm's broken. And now that's the awareness piece. Now you know what you've got to work on. And then the doctor will prescribe a course of medicine. And then the doctor will say, you need an operation. You've got to do this. You've got to have a plaster cast. So the scientific reports, what it means for my clients is it makes the invisible visible. And then they can have faith. Because a lot of people, faith, you've got to believe in the invisible. But it's hard to believe in that. So we make it visible. They have faith in the report. Then they make some rapid change. I think it's fascinating. I was, I want to ask you, I know you've overcome your own learning disability, and I wanted to see if you could share that with the audience about how you, as a child, I think, figured out your own limitations, and then you were able to reshape your focus. And I just wanted to see if you could share that and how it helped to where you are now. I believe today it wasn't as much of a learning disability as it was a teaching disability. I really think today it was more of a teaching disability. I was gifted. I was talented. I didn't fit in the box. So what they've got to do is they've got to label you with something (laughs) so they can control you. So, look, I was very intuitive at school. I was very spatially aware. My mum would say, Daniel, you just know things that people don't know. So now today we'd call that intuitive, but we didn't know how to call it intuitive then. It would be like, you're disabled because you can't read, you can't write, you can't do this. So I did have to get through it. And my mind wouldn't work in a linear fashion, meaning A, B, C, D. I couldn't learn like that. I'd like, okay, you tell me A, take me to T, take me back to E, get me to Z, and I'll figure out the rest. Now, that's intuition. Intuition is the ability to project out in the future, see the big picture, to come back to now, and to be able to explain it to somebody else in terms that they can understand. It's to see those clear visual pictures. It's to hear those clear audience sounds. It's to have those clear sentient feelings, and to come back into the moment and to communicate it in a way that people say, oh my gosh, how did you know that? Now, that's how my mind works. So over the years, what I had to do is I had to stop trying to condition myself to be like everybody else. I had to accept that I did have a gift, that I was talented, and I just had to find a place to use that where I could get rewarded. And once I was cabin crew with Emirates Airline, I was rewarded for the way that I thought because I got into a leadership role, but I also took my tarot cards on every flight and I was able to do tarot cards and I was able to help people heal because I was able to use my natural process of my mind. Then once I wanted to formalize that, I thought to make a career out of this and to make it financially viable, I've got to go to coaching. So I went to coaching. 
Once I realized coaching was really good, but what did I realize the problem was? It's mental and emotional problems. Business is not the problem. Everybody knows how to do business. Business is not the problem. It's the person driving the bus that's the problem. And so you come back full circle and you come back to taking care of mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. So today it serves me well, and it does help me understand better about other people. I know what it's like to feel different. I know what it's like not to fit in the box. But once people come to me, they say, Daniel, we don't fit the box either. We don't want to be stuck. You have to fit into a box and to be able to be (laughs) yourself, right? We want to get out because everything we want is outside of society's comfort zone or society's place where they put us. And so my job today is to help them unleash their full potential. And we've got to do it at all levels. And that's where the regressions come in. And that's where the timeline, when we do the regressions and we work with genealogical bloodlines, that gets exciting. That's a unique, I'd love to hear more about that sometime. I know we're running low on this time right now for this episode, but I'd love to to learn more about how you do bloodlines and genealogy and then tie that into doing the other stuff that you do. It sounds fascinating. It just sounds like- I'll paint a quick story for the next episode. One lady come to me recently and she said, Daniel, I don't know what my life's purpose is. I really just don't know what I want to do with my life. So we started to perform a past life regression and she went back into the past. She went back to two lifetimes ago. And as soon as she went back along her timeline, she noticed that she was alive in another life. But instead of being female, she was in a male's body and she was walking through this war zone. She was walking through this battlefield and she said bombs were dropping, houses were on fire. There was men's bodies scattered all across the land and there was all of these dying animals. But she said there was so much collateral damage and everybody was rewarded. The men were rewarded for their bravery, but these animals that carried the men into battle were getting no recognition. And when they were dying, when they were in pain, nobody was there to care for them in their spirit. And through that regression, she said, Daniel, I've just realized and remembered what my life's purpose is. She said, I'm here to be a voice for these animals that have never had a voice in their life. And I'm here to care for them. And that's my life's purpose. So her life's purpose hasn't been in her awareness in this lifetime. She wasn't aware of it the last lifetime, but two lifetimes ago, she'd started to live that life's purpose, but she had forgotten it. But through the process of this, she has remembered what it was. So she's back on the path and now she knows she's a voice for animals. And so these are some of the awakenings that people have. So powerful. I get goosebumps because- Uh, Me too. (laughs) They describe it in such detail and I'm not suggesting what's happening. They're telling me I go, wow. And we've even gone back and we've had a look at times and dates and it all fits within these time periods. One lady said to me, Daniel, she said, I was a witch. I was burned at the stake. She gave me a date in a place in Europe and her and I went back together and we found witches being burned at the stake in this period of time. Now, she had never studied that. She'd never learned about that. I worked with another girl and she said that she'd been abducted by an alien race. She told me the name on the side of their spaceship. I've never, ever been into that stuff. She's never been into it. And her and I sat on Google and we typed in the name of this spaceship and it was in the exact same location that she had said in her regression. And we were blown away because the language that she gave me, the words, the letters in weren't English. 
I've never learned about these alien races, and there it was on Google being reported by other people on the dark side of the moon. And I hear this stuff and I go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I'm here researching it and going, ah, this is real. Absolutely. So it's exciting. Daniel, we're running low on time. I'd love to have you back on sometime and talk more about the past life regression stuff and the other stuff you do. It just sounds fascinating to me. And I, I want to celebrate you. It sounds like you just have such an amazing storied past, but also in such a way that you're a living example of all these concepts we're talking about. And that I love to empower our audience. And I love to give them the idea that, you know what? You can have some negative experiences in your life. It's like turbulence on a plane to use your cabin example. I would have loved to be on a flight and having you read my tarot card sitting there. That's a niche <laughs> that the airline should maybe think about employing. In the United States, there's been a lot of attacks and violence on these airlines during the COVID thing. If we had someone like you assigned to a plane giving some intuitive guidance, maybe people would be more calmer and we wouldn't have this disruptive type of stuff that's happened over the last two years in the United States. One story before we go, 30 seconds. We're flying into Dubai. I'm doing a tarot reading for the first officer. And he just called me on the PA, said, Daniel, can you come to the cockpit and do a reading for me? I laid out the cards and I asked him, I said, are you having some relationship problems? Is there a divorce coming up for you and your wife? Have you been cheating on your wife? And he just started to cry. So he's flying the aircraft into the airport and he's crying. He's going, how do you know this stuff? And I said, I'm just reading the cards and intuitively, I think you've been a bit of a bad boy. And he quickly tells me his story and he goes, I got caught cheating on my wife. The woman was in the house, but my wife just didn't put one plus one together. And he said, yeah, he goes, it's like the third strike and I'm out. Now, I saw him about nine months later and he's running through headquarters and he goes, Oh, Daniel. And I'm looking around going, who's this? And my wife said, who's that? And I said, oh my gosh. I said, it's the the second officer I did a, first officer I did a reading for. And he screams out to me at the top of my, at the top of his voice in front of everybody, I've stopped cheating on my wife. <laughs> and that one thing, that one little bit of awareness made him realize how important his relationship was and he repaired it. So yeah, we do need it at many different levels. So powerful. First off, I would not want a pilot landing a plane while they're crying and emotionally <laughs> dressed. That sounds scary, but it sounds like you gave them such a great outcome with your reading and the information that you empowered them. And that's what I think this stuff is most important is to let people know you can be intuitive and use your abilities to help bring clarity, reassurance, empowering others. That's, I feel like, the best use of these gifts that exist or the intuitive abilities that a lot of us have that we can rely on. And I just, I want to ask you, if our audience wants to reach out to you, how would they best reach out to you? I'm going to have the information in our show notes, but for anyone listening to the episode, let's say they're very intrigued by our conversation and they want to reach out to you directly to find out more about the stuff you do. Come and explore. Every week I have a masterclass and it's called Unleashed Masterclass. And it's about stripping away these fears, doubts and limiting beliefs. And I talk about my scientific case studies and what other people are going through. And I think what you'll find out is when you come to Unleashed Masterclass is that you're not alone. You're not weird. You're not strange. You're going through what everybody else is going through. Yet most people won't talk about it. Where we talk about it in this forum and it will give you the hope just to take another step forward. So unleashedmasterclass.com. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. And I'm very inspired by you. I would love to have you back. Keep us in mind in terms of the things you have coming up. And if there's anything that you feel that you'd like to share with our audience, I'm an open platform for you. Let's do it, mate. 100%. Thank you. I just want to thank Daniel for coming on the show today. It's great to have an athlete who's also well-versed in 
spiritual matters as well as business matters. I think that's such a great combination for us to talk about on the show. The intersection of mental energy, as Daniel calls it, and focus and spirituality, these things fascinate me. And I love to be able to showcase this type of stuff and talk about concepts of emotional intelligence and how to avoid limiting beliefs or some of the fears of being taken advantage of or rejection. We have to put those things in the box, so to speak, live outside of our box and have an open mind. And if you can do that, I think you're going to learn a lot. I'm going to have all of Daniel's information in the show notes. So definitely check it out. And uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. As Daniel said, you have 60,000 thoughts a day. And if those are negative thoughts, you're just holding yourself back. So if you can implement some positive thinking and look at your life and not limit yourself, sky's the limit. We have infinite potential. I fully believe that. And I think Daniel's a living example of that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.